as the worship teams find their seats. Let's, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. Uh, we are, you know, when Christ returns, when uh, we are all together as God's family and we get to see and meet some of the saints of old, one person I want to meet is the guy who just made the decisions of where to start chapters <laughs> in these different books. So sometimes I wonder, like, why did you end the chapter there and start it here? Um, I, the, this transition between Acts 12 and Acts 13, I, I probably would have started Acts 13 a, a verse earlier. But um, So we're, we're going to look at Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And then we're going to look at verse, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, all together. Um, it says this, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That sends our reading of God's breathed out word. May all who hear it be in step with the Holy Spirit. You know, when, it, when I read a passage like this, it is short. I know it's short, but it gets me excited. And, and the reason I get excited is probably because I know what's going to happen next, right? I know about Barnabas and I know about Saul. Um, and, and we get to see the church, right? We, we, we get to see what the church is doing in this passage they're, they're sending people out. How exciting is that? And that's something that I hope that, that, that we will be doing in the not-so-distant future. I mean, how many of you dream of the day when, when New Hope Church will be able to send out its own team of church-planning missionaries? How, how many of you desire to see this church reproducing itself? I, I mean, that's what it's... That's what we ultimately want, is it not? Isn't that what Christ has called us to do? To be a part of this, this greater work of proclaiming salvation in the name of Jesus to the lost of this world? To, to cities and to, and to regions where the gospel has not gone? I mean, of course we want that. And that's because we understand that, that Jesus truly is the only hope for sinners. That, that only through him, through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, that can a person be made right with God. And, and so I personally, I long for the day when New Hope Church will be sending out its own team to proclaim that message in places outside of Oxford. But we're not there yet, right? And while this may seem like a pipe dream, I, I don't think it's as far-fetched as, as it seems. 
And I believe that the, the example that we see from this church in, in Antioch, this, this church that we, that we just read about, it, it demonstrates that if, if God so chooses, he can use even a little church like ours to have, an, have a big, big impact for his kingdom. And that's exciting. But before we get too excited, we need to be careful, right? Lest we miss the point of what God is trying to communicate to us. And so let's, let's gain some context first in order that we might fully understand what God is doing here. You see, in, in our text for today, we have, we have reached what, what is kind of, kind of the end of a major transition in the book of Acts. Whereas before, we were mainly following the ministry of this man named Peter. From here on out, we will be following the ministry of Saul, also known to us as Paul. But, but any time we, we, we reach a major transition in a book, we, we should try to remind ourselves of the purpose of that book, right? So, so let's take a, a look back at the beginning. Let's, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we will find a, an outline of sorts telling us what this book is about, as well as what is the mission of Christ's church. Look at Acts Chapter 1, verse 8. Here we see Jesus commissioning his, his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the, the mission is clear, is it not? We, we are to go into the world and proclaim the name of Jesus to all creation. We are to be his witnesses. And this entails not only the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, but it, but it also includes providing discipleship for those who believe. But, but notice how it is not just us who are going to accomplish this task, right? For, for what else did Jesus say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The mission is clear, and we see that it is through the Holy Spirit, through the power that he brings, that the mission is accomplished. Does that make sense? And so we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do this in our own power. We do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but, but how does that look? How, how does the Holy Spirit work through the church in fulfillment of Jesus' mission? This is a question that we will be trying to answer as we look at our passage for today. How does the Holy Spirit work through the church in fulfillment of of Jesus' mission. Like I said before, we're, we're at the tail end of this transition that Luke has been making in the book of Acts. A transition from the ministry of Peter to the ministry of Saul, whom Luke will later refer to as Paul. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul, right? The man who wrote 
roughly half the books of the New Testament. Um, and while we've covered Saul's conversion, as well as a few details on his early ministry, we really haven't seen this man in action, at least not in the same way that we've, we've seen Peter in action. But all that's about to change. For from here on out, the, the majority of Luke's focus will be on the ministry of this man named Saul and how God would use him to be, I mean, let's face it, he was probably the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He was God's chosen instrument to make the name of Jesus known among the Gentiles. And yet before he could do that, he needed to be called. He needed to be sent. He, he needed to be set apart by the Holy Spirit. Now think back to the last time we saw Saul. If you remember, it was Barnabas who had recruited this man to begin with to, to help him as he was trying to strengthen the church in Antioch, this, this newly formed, probably mostly Gentile church. And so Paul, what did he do? He, he left his home. He left Tarsus in order to team up with Barnabas. And the, and the two of them spent a whole year building this church up. And then, if you remember, it was the prophet Agabus who came into the city of Antioch and, and foretold of this coming worldwide famine. And that was when this young church decided that they needed to be the ones who would bring aid to those who would be most affected. And so they took up a collection, sacrificing from their, their, their own finances in order that the churches within Judea, all these Jewish churches, uh, would be taken care of during this coming distress. And if you remember, they had chosen Saul and Barnabas to deliver this money to these different churches throughout Judea. And that was the last we heard about Saul and Barnabas. Well, having fulfilled their mission, our story now picks up from where we left off, and we see these two men returning to the city of Antioch, to the returning to the church family that they had left behind. Look at, look at Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so, and so we see the, the work that they set out to accomplish was now complete. They were now returning to Antioch in order that they could continue in their discipleship of this, of this church body. But notice that they were not alone, right? For they had brought someone with them. They had brought this man named John, who's also called Mark. Now, we will discuss John Mark at a later point in the book of Acts. But, but I think it is valuable, valuable for us to note that, that these two men, Barnabas and Saul, they, they were bringing someone with them. And this is a practice that we'll see throughout most of Saul's journeys. That, that he was always bringing people with him wherever he went. And that's because one of the key traits of true discipleship is, is getting people hands-on experience. Getting them involved in real-world ministry. And, and so we see 
that these two men, Barnabas and Saul, they, they, they were men who were very active in discipleship. They were always bringing someone with them, someone that they were working with, someone that they were building up and training. And they had good reason to be doing this, right? Because that's how the Holy Spirit works through the church in fulfillment of Christ's mission. He uses members of the church to disciple one another. The Holy Spirit uses members of the church to disciple one another. That's what the church does. We lift each other up. We bring each other with one another. We train one another. We teach one another. Let me ask you, who is your Barnabas? Who is your Saul? Or better yet, to, to whom are you being a Barnabas? To whom are you being a Saul? Listen, Jesus wasn't kidding when he, when he said to go and make disciples of all nations. This, this was a command for you. This, is, this was a command for me. It's a command for all who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And whether you are a brand new Christian or whether you have been at this for years, you need to be in a discipleship relationship. Because that's how the Holy Spirit matures us. It is how he makes us more like Christ. And if you're, not, if you're not in some type of discipleship relationship, if you don't have a Barnabas, if you don't have a Saul, then, then please come and see me. Come and see one of the elders. And we will make sure that you are being discipled. Because we, we, we truly, truly believe that that is how the Holy Spirit works. He uses members of the church to disciple one another. Let's continue with our passage. Look at, look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, what, what Luke is describing here for us is not necessarily the, the leadership within this church, though these men most likely were the leaders. Rather, what he is describing are, are, are men who have certain types of giftings. What does he say? He said that they were prophets and they were teachers. And as we'll soon find out, there, there, there was a reason for these men to be singled out. So let's, let's talk about these giftings and, and why they were so important. The role of a prophet, what is that? In, in the biblical sense of the word, it was someone who, who simply was to convey God's revelation to God's people. And when you think about it, the, this role would have been very, very important and very strategic to the early church. And that's because they did not yet have a completed New Testament, right? Now, now what they did have was the Old Testament, as well as many of the teachings of Jesus, as those things would have been passed along by the apostles. Whether they had the, 
these teachings in their completed form, as we see in the Gospels, we can't be sure. But what we can be sure of is that these teachings of Jesus were shared not only by the apostles, but probably by other disciples who had followed Jesus. And so the early church, they, they did have a lot that they were going on. Yet, what was definitely missing were the apostolic letters, right? Letters which served to give clarity, to give meaning to all that Christ did and all that Christ was still doing. And that's where these prophets came into play. They were to, to fill in the gaps, so to speak, through exhortation and instruction, through re rebuke and encouragement. These men had special insight from God concerning the, the meaning of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But that wasn't the only thing that they did. For God also used them to help give direction to the church as they were navigating unknown waters. Now, their equivalent for today would probably be those who preach, right? The, the only difference is that, is that preachers today, what, we have a completed New Testament, right? The Bible's set. And so there's no further insight that is necessary. And then we have the other gift, right? Teachers. Who were they? Well, teachers, they would have been men or women who, who would have known their scriptures well who would have been able to train the people of God in the knowledge of God. And we still have teachers today, those who, who lead Bible study, those who lead small groups, those who, who, who right now are teaching our children downstairs, right? Teaching them the fundamentals of the faith. Teachers, they, they help us to gain a, a, a firm foundation in all that God has revealed to us in the past. Now, when you think about it, the, the, you have these two groups, right? You have these prophets and you have teachers. And when, when they are coupled together, what they do is they produce this healthy balance that the early church needed. The prophets bringing new insight into the new things that God was doing. And, and the teachers helping, helping the people to remain grounded. Grounded to the revelations that God had given in the past. And that is why Luke is making note of these men. For, for they were gifted in these vital, vital areas that the church was going to need if they were going to branch out into other cities. If they were going to plant new churches in fulfillment of Christ's mission. Now there's another thing that I, I want you to notice with these group of men, and, and that is the div diversity within this group. I mean, consider these five men for a second and the backgrounds that they come from. I mean, first we have Barnabas, right? A, a Greek-speaking Jew who was originally from Cyprus. So he was a Hellenist. And if you recall, if you recall he was probably a rich man because he was one of those who sold his property and, and given the proceeds to the church. He, he laid it all at the apostles' feet. And then we have Simeon, who is also called Niger. Now, the, the, the name Niger means black. 
And this nickname was probably given to him because of the hue of his skin. He most likely was a black man that originated from Africa. And then we have Lucius of Cyrene, which is another city in northern Africa. Now, whether he was a Hellenistic Jew or a Gentile, we can't be sure. But, but his name, Lucius, definitely wasn't Jewish. But rather, that's a Latin name. And so there's a good chance that two of these leaders were of African descent. And then we have Manan, who, who Luke tells us was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. In other words, this man grew up with one of the Herods. Now, we talked about Herod last week. This is a different Herod. Herod the Tetrarch would have been Herod Antipas, the same Herod that uh, uh, beheaded John the Baptist. So Manan was his lifelong friend. I can imagine conversations, right? But being his lifelong friend, what, what does that mean? It means that, that when he was growing up, he would have had to have come from a noble Jewish family, right? For that was the only way that he would have such close ties to one of the Herods. And then finally we have Saul, right? And I've been talking about him. But Saul was a Hellenistic Jew who was born in Tarsus, was raised in Jerusalem. His family moved to Jerusalem. And then he studied under the rabbi Gamaliel. And so out of all of these men, it would have been Saul who would have had the greatest biblical education. All this to say is that, is that in the church of God, it doesn't matter what your background is, right? It doesn't matter where you came from or who you were before. Because God gifts and he uses all kinds of people. It is the role of the church not only to raise up people through discipleship, but also to recognize such men in order that the church might be blessed by their gifts. You see, the, the, the raising up, that, that comes through the discipleship that we talked about earlier. But, but it is the recognizing, the recognizing of these gifts well, that comes through time that we spend together as a church family, does it not? When we get to know one another, when we get to see the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given, we get to see these gifts in action, right? I mean, this, my friends, is how the, how the Holy Spirit uses a church to recognize qualified men. Let me repeat that. The Holy Spirit uses the church to recognize Qualified men. I mean, the church in Antioch, they had five men, five men who were recognized as prophets and teachers. And the reason, the reason they were able to recognize this? Well, they spent time together, right? They spent time with one another. And they, uh, during their discipleship, they discipled one another allowing these gifts to, to, to spring forth. And that's why I believe it's so vital here at, at New Hope Church for, for things such as small groups 
and Bible studies and, and prayer gatherings. Times when we can get together. For this is how we disciple one another. And it's how we begin to recognize all that God is doing in our midst. The gifts that he's given to us. But there's more than just discipleship and recognition. For there is also calling. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, now the first thing that we should notice from this verse is, is that this church in, in Antioch was both worshiping the Lord and fasting. They were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. Now, what's going on here? Why does Luke make mention of this? I believe that because it is fasting that is linked very, very closely to the understanding of God's will. Let, let me explain. Biblically speaking, fasting was was typically practiced where, where we see it the most in the Old Testament was when a person was either in mourning or when they were repenting of some great sin. And yet those weren't the only two circumstances that would drive a person to fast. I mean, consider what fasting is. It is a forsaking of food for a brief period of time in order to draw closer to the Lord. And that's because when we deprive ourselves of food, what it does, it, it stirs up within us this feeling of longing, does it not? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I, but if I miss breakfast by lunchtime, I feel like I, I could eat three meals, right? And yet that, that's what hunger does. It, it, it helps us to focus. Focus on what we truly need, which is God. Look at, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he, may, he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You, you see, it, it is our hunger that reminds us of our weaknesses. And it is in our weakness, it is our weaknesses that drive us to seek God, knowing that he truly is the source of our strength. And my guess is that that was the reason that this church in Antioch was fasting. They were seeking God in their weakness. They were looking for answers that only God could answer. You see, this, this church in Antioch, they were at a point where they had, they had grown numerically, but, but now they had also, they had raised up these elders, right? In fact, we know that, that they had a strong leadership core, at least with these five men that Luke mentioned, if not more. And now that they had recognized the giftings of these men, now that they had recognized these leaders within their church, 
the question that they needed to answer was this. What would be the next thing that God would have them do? I mean, do they just sit there and continue to grow in Antioch? Or does God have something else in mind for them? And so they were fasting. They were looking for answers. And this is how every church should approach their attempts to understand God's will. They they, they shouldn't rely on their own opinions or their own wisdom. Rather, they should seek God in their weakness through both worship and fasting. And what happened in this church when they worshiped and fasted? What does Luke tell us? The Holy Spirit spoke. You see, God, he he honored this church's devotion by giving them direction. Direction on how they were to continue in Christ's mission. And that's because the Holy Spirit speaks to the church that is seeking him. The Holy Spirit speaks to the church that is seeking him. So how do we know when God is speaking? How do we know the the way that the Spirit is leading? Well, within the church of Antioch, we we see the Spirit speaking directly to them, right? And he, he specifically said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But what about for us today? I mean, we don't have the Holy Spirit speaking audibly like he did with the church in Antioch. How, how are we to know God's will? Might I suggest that we are not all that different from this church in Antioch? Yes, it was God who made the decision, but, but the church wasn't passive, were they? I mean, it was the people who, who were discipling other people. It was the people who had recognized these five men to begin with. And the people also recognized their, the, the, that in their helpless state, they needed direction from God. And that was why they were fasting. Now, now, these are all things that we could be doing as a church, right? And, and if we are doing these things, then, then who's to say that God won't show to us his will? Maybe it'll be an audible voice. I don't know, but maybe not. Maybe the answer will come through God's word, through the study of his word. Maybe the answer will come through the, the church leadership as they are in agreement with one another. Maybe it'll come through the the church body as a whole. Think of it this way. If the church is praying, if the church is fasting, if the church is worshiping God in a manner worthy of his name, then then we must trust that God is able to speak to our hearts and to our minds concerning matters of his church. And that's because the Holy Spirit speaks to a church that is seeking him. Listen, the the, the real question is not whether God will speak. It is whether we as a church are willing to seek God in these matters. Are we going to make our decisions using our own wisdom, trusting in our own intelligence? Or are we going to go to God in our weaknesses and seek his face? I mean, after all, isn't this what the gospel teaches us? That we cannot do it on our own? 
that we need God's help? Dear friends, there, there is a reason that it needed to be Jesus on the cross and not you and not me. And that's because we cannot save ourselves. We need God to intervene. We needed the God-man to pay the penalty for the sins that we committed in order that we might find forgiveness, in order that we might find entrance into Christ's kingdom. But God did more than just that, didn't he? For, for we also needed his Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to produce faith within us. He needed to be the one to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. I mean, we would have never believed if it wasn't for him. And so if we begin with the Spirit, don't you think we ought to remain with the Spirit? For, for he is the one who continues to mature us. He is the one who shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he is the one who continues to guide his church as he gives his direction on how to fulfill Christ's mission. If the plan is coming from us, well, guess what? It'll inevitably fail. But if the plan comes from God, if it comes from the Holy Spirit, well, then it cannot fail. The Holy Spirit speaks to a church that is seeking him. But what did the Holy Spirit say to the church in Antioch? He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit had chosen Barnabas and Saul for his specific work. Now think about this. There were five men all qualified for the work that the Holy Spirit was going to set forth. And yet the Spirit had only chosen two, Barnabas and Saul. And in some sense, you know, this this makes perfect sense. As the church in Antioch still needed guidance, right? They still needed leadership. And the Spirit wasn't going to send all five on this mission. But why Barnabas and Saul? Why not Simeon or Manaean? Why not Lucius? Luke doesn't tell us the answer, only that this was God's choice. And so it was the right choice. And that's because it is the Holy Spirit who calls a man. It is the Holy Spirit who calls a man. I think too often within the church, we, we focus solely on, on gifting and we neglect calling. We, we, we focus on what we can tangibly see, we tangibly get our hands on, instead of asking, well, what does God see? Now, now don't get me wrong, we, we, we shouldn't neglect gifting either, but, but, but God sees the things that we cannot see, am I right? And that is why we must trust in the calling of the Holy Spirit. Because only He can see all the factors that are laid laid before us. 
But calling isn't the end of the story because I read through verse 3. So let's go to verse 3, right? Look at, look, look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, so we, we see the church fasting once again, and as well as praying, this time not for wisdom in a decision. The Holy Spirit already gave them that. Rather, this time, they're fasting and they're praying probably for God's protection and his guidance for these two men who are about to embark on this missionary journey. But not only did the church pray and fast, but then we see them laying hands on the men, right? And this was a practice that was done not, not only as a way of invoking God's blessing and empowerment, but also as a way of communicating to these men that they have the, the support of this church. You see, it was only after that the laying on of hands was done that these men were finally sent out. And that's because the Holy Spirit uses the church to send those whom he calls. The Holy Spirit uses the church to send those whom he calls. And there's good reason for this. And that's because the church, the church doesn't sever ties with those they send. Rather, they partner with their missionaries and support them as they go out into the world. I mean, just because these men were leaving, that, that didn't mean that there was no longer a connection between them and the believers of Antioch. And so this sending, it wasn't so, so much a goodbye, rather it was a pledge by this church to be there for both Barnabas and Saul. Here at New Hope Church, we have three sets of missionaries that we have partnered with. There, there, there's Dave and Oi in Thailand, who I shared about at the start of our service. Then there's uh, Lewis and Carrie Nelson in, out in Colorado, working at Camp Hope, reaching unchurched children with the gospel. Plus, we've partnered with Jim and Rachel Bennett, who work right here in Michigan at Camp Barakel. And we also, we're partnered with Young Life here right in Oxford as well. And so uh, we have people, I mean, Jared's helping out there. Um, now, now, if you haven't heard those names before, I, I hope you've heard of Jared. But if you haven't heard of any of the other names before today, well, that, that's, that falls upon us, the leadership. And this is something that we need to grow in communicating with each and every one of you about our missionaries, about what they're doing. Um, and, and we need to figure out better ways that we can stay connected with these missionaries we partnered with. Because that's what a, that's what a sending church does, right? I mean, it's not just about how much we give. But are we praying for them? Are we fasting for them? Are we communicating with them and, and ministering to them? Are we ministering with them? I hope in the future we'll, we'll have missionary trips, not just to Thailand, but to Colorado, to, to Camp Barakel, um, maybe partnering even right here with Young Life 
Um, if they need any of our help, you know, that, that's what it means to be a sending church. And that's how the Holy Spirit uses the church to send those whom he calls. Well, let me finish, finish up by summing, summing this all up. And what do, what do we see from this church in Antioch? Well, it's the Holy Spirit who raises up, recognizes, calls, and sends his missionaries out into the world, and he is using the church throughout the whole process. Dear friends, if we want to be a church that is about Christ's mission, then, then we need to prioritize the things of the Spirit. Are we discipling one another? Are we recognizing those whom the Spirit has gifted? Are, are we seeking the Spirit's guidance and thus putting ourselves in a position where we can hear the Spirit's voice? The Spirit's calling. And finally, are we being a true sending church? Are we doing more than just giving our money? Listen, God is going to grow his kingdom. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? If we, if we humble ourselves and submit to the working of the Spirit, then I believe that we will see God doing great things right here in New Hope Church. And perhaps there will, there will even come a day when, when we will be the ones who will be sending out our very own as missionaries and church planners. But until that time comes, let us be faithful, faithful to the Spirit's moving. Let us pray. Father, we come to you knowing that it is only you who can make your kingdom grow. It is only you who can make New Hope Church grow. And so we ask you now that, that you would guide us, that you would use your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to give us direction for our future. Help us to disciple one another. Help us to recognize the, the various giftings within our church and in order that those gifts might be utilized for your purposes. Help us to be faithful, faithful in seeking your wisdom for all of our decisions. And then help us to be obedient to your calling. And finally, let us be a church that is steadfast, that, is, that has partnered, truly partnered with the people that we send in order that your will may be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.